Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm Danny, and today we have another wonderful interview. We're going to be talking mainly about the topic of repentance. And I know I've recently just had a video published from John the Baptist, and here we have Dr. Roger Fankhauser here with us, and he was a former president of the Free Grace Alliance. He's a retired senior pastor out at, I believe, Burleson, Texas, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. And so he's a graduate from Phoenix Seminary with an MDiv and a demon. And uh, to, like I said, today we're going to be talking all about repentance and the different nuances, possibly. What does scripture actually say about it? And does repentance have any role to play within gaining salvation or within the life of a Christian? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we actually get into the questions, I just thank you, Roger, for being with us. Would you like to share anything about yourself, maybe ministries, hobbies with the audience before we get started? Sure. Um, I've uh, pastored two churches. I was in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, mm. I'm convinced God has a great sense of humor because I worked uh, initially as an engineer. Uh, we had a sister plant in uh, New Orleans, and I said, I never want to go to Louisiana. So where does God put me for 13 Report. years? Louisiana. <laughs> um, so I've pastored for a little over 20 years total, um, been committed to uh, free grace the whole time. I'm convinced that's the uh, best fits what scripture says and is also the, the most helpful for life, for people dealing with all kinds of issues and understanding mm -hmm. grace and um, never as an excuse for sin, but mm -hmm. um, just understanding how gracious God is and his forgiveness and, and mm -hmm. the extent of our salvation. So that's, that's been my heartbeat and mm -hmm. uh, it's been a, um, an honor. God's allowed me to travel a bit over the, around the world and uh, help train people, encourage people and just mm -hmm. a, um, um, just it's an, been an exciting life. I never would have guessed, you know, what what lay ahead when I started uh, seminary way too many years ago. <laughs> too many years ago, eh? So where all have you traveled? You said you traveled all over. Uh, let's see. I have been in South America, been in Colombia and Peru. Uh, Europe was in Finland, Africa, Ooh. Ghana, um, Asia, let's see, Philippines, Nepal, India, Kazakhstan. Wow. I think that's it. Yeah. Wow. So were you at the Himalayas? Yeah. Do you believe in the Yeti? Um, we didn't get that close. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my daughter, we love watching Bigfoot documentaries and the Yeti and Bominal Soul Man and the Skunk Ape and Florida Everglades and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I just had that. You mentioned Nepal. So I had to ask you about the Yeti. So, well, yeah, if, if he was there, he hid. But <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's some interesting thoughts as far as uh, Bigfoot's concerned, but I'm sure that's not why you came here to talk with us today. <laughs> well, I will add one more comment. I lived up in Washington State, which also uh -huh. has its own, you know, Bigfoot and version. Yep. Um, down around Mount St. Helens, there was you know, a lot of reports of sightings. And I worked with a guy that he was, his goal in life was to record this thing on. Uh, <laughs> and he tried sharing some of his recordings and they were pretty indistinct. Yep. I'm not sure they yeah. proved a whole lot, but it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting chase. It, it definitely is. It would be one that really, uh, 
changes you know what people think i mean i'm not an evolutionist never will be you know but it's just interesting i have my own views i think they're demonic you know i think there's some sort of spiritual realm to it but yeah. like i say you're not here to talk about that but no. i did want to ask you but one thing about you roger that i love and i uh, found you on free grace perspective and i was telling you this before but for the viewers is too many times within theological camps we want to go ahead and and just argue a position argue a theology and try to win that theology debate. And it's the same thing within Christian apologetics. We think that the goal of apologetics is to win a debate or argument. But the thing I love about you is the fact that in all the posts and the replies I see, I see your heart coming through. You don't want to win an argument. You want to help somebody understand better. And so it's not about free grace versus Calvinism to a degree. It's about trying to help somebody get a closer relationship with God and to understand his character in a greater degree in one that is much more gracious and loving and what we believe to be true as far as scripture. And so I love that heart of you. And so that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you on to talk about what we're talking about, because what we're talking about is a controversial word, if you will, a topic, even yep. within free grace community, I've learned, and there's some nuances to it. And so within repentance, I want to ask you right off the bat, just some basic questions that most people are familiar with, but I want to get your perspective. What is repentance? Is it only a change of mind? Is there a change of behavior aspect? Does regret, remorse have anything to do within repentance? So what is it and what does it actually mean? Well, the answer to that question, all those questions is yes. <laughs> I figured I was waiting. <laughs> Um, my, my take, my understanding of repentance is it's a change of mind. It's more than, um, there's one theologian who's kind of taken that and twisted it, that we just think it's a change of opinion. And it's a lot more mm. than that. Okay. Um, uh, picking up from, uh, Charlie Bing, he's described it as a change of mind, change of heart. And so I've kind of rolled those together and it's a change mm -hmm. of conviction. Okay. Uh, but the context has to tell you what it's a change about. Mm -hmm. And so first off, is he talking, when we read repentance in scripture, is it talking about, uh, or two, I should say, believers or unbelievers? And mm -hmm. if it's unbelievers, is are they Gentiles or Jews? What's the context? Because mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference in what's going on. Um, and so same thing as, as with so many other topics, if we aren't careful with identifying the audience, we can come away with some, some faulty ideas. Right. Um, I do want to say that within uh, free grace circles, uh, there's at least four different camps around uh, meanings for right. uh, repentance. There's a, a book that um, uh, I helped contribute to called Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Magnifies the Gospel. Mm -hmm. And um, we put together an appendix in there, and you know, rather than trying to do this from memory, uh, <laughs> yeah. you got four different four different views. You got the the change of heart, change of mind view. Um, there's another view. Uh, this is uh, Jody Dillo holds this that it has the idea of regret or admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. um, a third view is that it's an internal resolve to turn from one's sin. Okay. And that can apply to either a believer or an unbeliever. We see unbelievers who want to change their life right. about things. And so it would fit for that. And then the fourth view is it is a turning from sins, but not in for salvation. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I am most convinced at this point with the change of heart, change of mind idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
the normal response should be mm-hmm. a change of behavior, but those are two related things, but the change of behavior is not the repentance. Mm-hmm. The repentance is the change of heart, change of mind, mm-hmm. followed by normally a change of views, right. uh, a change of actions, I should say. Um, Jesus basically, I think, made that point in Mark where he uh, tells the Pharisees, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then later mm-hmm. he says, um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so right. there seems to be a difference between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, much the same way that I believe faith should result in good works, never as the measure of your salvation. Right. Same thing with this change of heart, change of mind. It should result in some sort of change of actions. But again, it depends on the context of who is being addressed and what they're being uh, told uh, to repent from. Right. Um, so you had asked, um, is there a connection with salvation? Well, it's implied that um, if I believe in Jesus, that moment I believe in Jesus for eternal life and I'm justified and all the things that come with that, there's also been a change of heart, change of mind, um, that come, that goes along with that. But it's very interesting to me that there's only a couple of verses that loosely seem to connect with repentance and salvation. That's not the emphasis of Scripture. Right. Uh, the emphasis in Scripture is uh, believing in or faith in Christ. Right. Um, and so uh, I think that the church in history mm-hmm. has th- made two big mistakes. One is... Um, our understanding of repentance um, comes from the idea of penance and, oh, you know, it's, it's some sort of remorse or, and change of heart. And so it's this, you know, I, I guess this, this hard feeling, if you will, that comes mm-hmm. from understanding the sin and then trying to turn away from it. And it becomes very burdensome. And so that has been a, a problem. And so we've, we've got about, um, what, 1700 years of, oh, of, man. uh, of goofing up that yeah, we have to that, yeah yeah but that makes it that also makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to talk about because that's kind of the mindset that's the yep. the and that's probably if i could i remember far enough back that's probably what i thought it was okay um, just because that's kind of the party line and, and, mm-hmm. and of what that is i remember the first time or one of the early times when i started clicking that that's not really mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. um you know that was kind of a tough tough change Mm. um side note that's one of the the reasons i think that it's important to try and and be gracious in dealing with people because it's real easy for me to tell you to change your mind it's much tougher for you to do that changing yeah rarely comes easily rarely comes instantaneously um Mm. and if i've alienated you because i've won the argument in a non-gracious way that's not going to go very far down the road. No. Um, so that's kind of a, a whole lot of things in a nutshell. Um, no, I appreciate that because you, you articulated the various nuances and views within free grace uh, theology, if you will, which one you hold to. And and I love what you said. You know, you got to look at the audience. You got to look at the context. It's the same thing when we're looking at salvation. Save from what? Who's being saved? Is it the believer or the unbeliever? And then same thing with fire. Is fire judgment, purification? Is it discipline? Is it hell? What is it? And so, no, I like how you drew that out. So 
I want to talk about Christians. Must a Christian repent if they are already saved? And if so, what does that look like within a Christian's life? What are they repenting from? Well, there's um, a handful of passages uh, in the epistles, probably um, the most concentrated ones would be uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about, uh, well, I'll just read it. I now rejoice now that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Uh, the idea, I think Paul is dealing with a, a real issue in, in life, right. and he's talking to a Christian audience. Now, granted, the Corinthians were a messed up Christian audience, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, mm -hmm. Christian audience. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glad that the Corinthian church is there because it may, you know, I realize that no matter how much I mess up, God still loves me. Um, yes. That, that so is there true. is uh, that concept um, of uh, repenting for sin and uh but to be honest, uh, as a pastor, I almost never use that phrase from the pulpit. It's not because I don't think that we need to repent, but mm -hmm. I, I will use the descriptive terms more than the actual word, and I'll explain why in a second. I'll say mm -hmm. we need to change our heart, change our mind, and you know allow God to change us and start moving in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, because, unfortunately, the word repentance, first off, you're not going to hear it outside of church circles. Right. You know, I can't remember the last time I was at Walmart and heard somebody talking about repentance. Really? It didn't come over the intercom or anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, I just tried, tried, tried striking up a conversation and people looked at me weird. <laughs> they were sorry about that price change. We repented and now it's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, much of much of the, uh, I'll call it the unchurched or outside population, mm -hmm. They only know kind of what the the version of repentance that we must have sorrow and turn from sin and just mm -hmm. that whole, you know, that whole uh, standard meaning when it often isn't what right. we mean. Um, and that's important as a pastor, too, because when you're trying to reach unchurched people, we don't want to go ahead and use churchy words because they're going to get lost or they're going to misunderstand. And yeah. so we want to reach them similar to the lang language that they speak. And so... Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think it's, I think the concept is important. Um, and I think it's, it's appropriate as a pastor to, to teach on it, mm -hmm. um, but make sure you have time. You know, it's almost like a standalone. Let's mm -hmm. talk about this. When you see this word, here's what it means. Here's right. the questions to ask as, when you see it so that we mm -hmm. don't just kind of fall back into that. Um, this is what I've always been taught right. mode. Um, so you won't hear it outside of the church and vast majority of people within the church aren't clear what it means right um but they do understand what it said if, if you tell them uh and, and this would work even if you held one of the other views mm -hmm. um within the free grace camp mm -hmm. they would understand this is the descriptive term of in my case of change of heart change of mind okay and yeah. that, you know a realization that i've been going down a wrong path even as a christian and i'm, I'm doing some things I don't need to do. I need to change my heart, change my mind, which mm -hmm. basically you know, allows the scripture to, um, to do that right. and trusting the power of, of God and the, the power of his word to mm -hmm. then produce the fruit in keeping with mm -hmm. uh, repentance. So do Christians need to repent? Yes. If you would go back and listen to my 20 plus years of sermons, other than mm -hmm. when I might be specifically talking on that topic. You'd hardly ever hear me say that word. 
Mm-hmm. So you get the concept. Right. And it's, I know there there's some people and and they're well-meaning people, but they it's like they hold to a view of repentance that is a reformed view. And so they'll argue that if free grace teaches there is a need for a Christian to repent, then free grace just lost grounds. And, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Like you said, I think you got to understand it within its context and, and what is the repentance of and from. And like you said, we'll teach the same concept just with different language within the pulpit and even maybe within, you know, free grace discussions and people are okay with it. But as soon as somebody associates repentance, we're like, Oh, that's Lordship, you know, term. We don't, we don't use that. And I just, it's a biblical term. It's in the Bible. So I just, I love how you said context, context, context. So uh, one of the views when, when we look at, okay, salvation is merely by faith alone by grace alone and Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And it is never of works. There's no strings attached. Otherwise it wouldn't be a free gift. And one of the ways uh, we uh, within free grace speak against repentance for salvation is because of the fact that in the gospel of John, repentance does not appear uh, from my studies or anybody else's studies. How important is that, that the word and term repentance is omitted from the gospel of John when you're dealing with the faith alone message? Yeah. And, and actually I think it's even bigger than that because Paul in Romans, you know, his mm-hmm. um, theological treatise, if you mm-hmm. will, he only speaks of repentance once there. And it's in a very general sense in the very mm-hmm. front end where it talks about his kindness leads us to repentance, repentance and it's yep. in the context of um there of, of talking about how sinful you know everybody is mm-hmm. um and it's never other than that it's not in romans mm-hmm. and it's not in galatians and mm-hmm. galatians yep. is a book that yep. paul basically uh, one of the one of the the versions of the bible and i don't remember which one it is like mm-hmm. I, I read it a long time ago and uh-huh. I can't put my finger on it but it says you idiot galatians <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now I got to find that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but in any case, you know, so he's dealing with a huge problem. He says, you guys yeah. have messed up and you've gotten away from uh, yeah. understanding justification by faith and you've gotten away from sanctification by faith as well. Both, both aspects, you know, how right. you are saved in the first place and then how you live afterwards. And he never mentions repentance there. Right. So, um, I, I take it that, um, in the message of salvation, it's a mm-hmm. secondary word. Okay. John's emphasis, um, you know, John never used repent. Luke of the gospel writers used it more frequently than the others. Um, so I, I think that um, it's an issue of clarity. Okay. Uh, the issue in all three of those books, John, Romans, Galatians, and it's obviously throughout the New Testament, mm-hmm. is it's by faith in Christ, believing in Christ, who died for us, was raised uh, from right. the dead, you know, as he, Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. Um, the word does show up, and so obviously uh, the authors expected his readers to understand what it meant. Right. You know, we've just done a great job of church history of making it messier. But I think I think it's, it's pretty clear of uh, keeping the gospel as simple as possible, as clear as possible. The Mm -hmm. emphasis is on believing in Christ. That's going to imply that there's going to be a change of heart, change of mind, but that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not the the condition. That's not uh, what's necessary to 
uh, obtain eternal life. It's like what I was talking about last night here at church when we were, we're going through the book of James. Mm-hmm. And the fact that a Christian should be changing and should be doing these good things. One one person asked a really good question. You know, if we get saved and we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're a new creation, shouldn't we automatically have this new disposition? And I'm like, well, part of the issue was discipleship. Okay. Part of the issue is if I don't know that getting drunk every night and beating my wife is bad, now I have to discern between what is the spirit talking to me and what is the conscience and what is my flesh? How do I discern these different voices inside of me, which is biblical? So part of it's discipleship. And then the other other aspect of that, too, is it, it, it just means that with the fact of our indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now we have the ability to overcome these sins. We have the enablement. Right. We have the power through yes, a Christian repenting and, and changing their ways and, and change of heart, change of mind type deal. We have the ability to do so if we choose to do so, not for salvation, but for discipleship and growth and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did mention something I wanted to ask you to clarify, secondary word. Uh, you, you said it's a secondary word. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I don't mean by that. I don't mean it's not important, but when mm-hmm. you uh, do a a survey through the New Testament, you're going to find so few passages that use the word repentance um, in connection with the believer, uh, with coming to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to address the repent and kingdom of heaven passages in a minute. So if yeah, I skip okay. that, remind me. Okay. Um, but you find so many words. So it's a it's a valid word to use. But I say secondary, not in the sense of not important, but not that's not the the primary thrust of the new testament which is right. um believe in christ um and, and so it's in another sense it's secondary because we can't we can't really use it without defining it right okay. and explaining it and and uh, so that's all that's all i meant by secondary okay. not that it's not important it's just not that's not the primary thrust right so w- would that be like sort of like these peripheral issues where you have unity in the essentials and liberty in the non-essentials type deal yeah okay yeah. So why why don't you before we go on with uh, Acts two why why don't you uh, clarify what do you want to say as far as repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? Yeah, um, that I think that is where a lot of people get the idea because they start reading that it's the words of John the Baptist, it's the words of Jesus. Yep. Um, but we that's where we have to look at the audience. Who were they speaking to? They were speaking to Israel. They probably didn't know it at the time, but they're speaking to Israel at the end of the era of the law. Mm-hmm. And Israel was under uh, under the Mosaic Covenant. There's the broad concept of if you believe corporately, or, mm-hmm. or excuse me, if you obey corporately, you'll be blessed. If you disobey corporately, you'll be disciplined. Mosaic Covenant, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, John the Baptist was coming to these people at this time period that... Um, Sadly, uh, not unexpectedly, the mm-hmm. uh, the Jewish community had drifted away again, yet still some more. And I don't want to sound too harsh because I got a sneaky feeling we could do the, <laughs> the exact same thing very yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see them have drifted away and they're calling them back to faithful obedience to covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me of, I think it was uh, uh, King Josiah that came in and he cleaned everything out. And, yep. And going, there's a great example of how that uh, that works. Yeah. Um, so 
the first call is that's not a call to initial salvation. It's a call coming back to faithfulness within the Mosaic covenant. Yeah. Then the idea of the kingdom of heaven as at hand, mm -hmm. uh, we understand now because we're looking backwards that there is mm -hmm. a gap between um, the the law and when the kingdom will actually physically be inaugurated on the earth. Of course, okay, I hold right. to a you know, premillennial right. um, view and such. Uh, but, you know, we see that gap. Uh, that audience didn't see that gap. They expected when this ends, we're going to go into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus said, um, in this age and the age to come. They basically saw those two as a mystery, yeah. as Paul talks about in Ephesians. Uh, but, you know, so they were expecting that when this age ended, mm -hmm. the next one would be the kingdom. And so the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, um, the kingdom of heaven was present in the person of Jesus, who uh, theoretically, if all had gone differently, uh, would have been inaugurated at that point as the king. And now we know, obviously, that wasn't God's plan. But nonetheless, right. so the kingdom of heaven at hand is not a uh, salvation for you to get into heaven. It's mm -hmm. The ki promised king, the promised Messiah, Jesus, is here. And so the whole kingdom is wrapped up in him. So it's a call back to covenant faithfulness for the Jewish listeners mm -hmm. because the promised king was there. Yeah. And, they, and we know he's later rejected. And so the kingdom program, from their perspective, was um, delayed. Right. It definitely was delayed. Yeah. In a. You know, we can see in Zechariah 11 through 13, where the Jewish people were foretold they're going to reject Messiah. Isaiah 53 with the suffering servant as well. Right. And that, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your elaboration on that. And again, during the Mo is still the Mosaic law, still the Mosaic covenant and spoken to the Jewish people. And uh, definitely, no, I appreciate that. Well, uh, let's get into some passages that are hotly yeah. contested that actually... <laughs> make it seem like repentance is a necessary work for salvation. And the first right. one is in Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. Now, I just want to read it for the way of the listeners. And then Peter at the uh, day of Pentecost says, uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized. Now, we can clearly articulate uh, the baptism aspect and that that is not soteriologically uh, minded, if you will. It's not right. salvific, but uh, this aspect of repentance, Peter is saying, repent for remission of sins. What's happening? Is this one of those passages that teaches a Christian or you have to repent to be saved? If so, what? Uh, well, you know, thanks for asking them the easy one. <laughs> you can always just take the route that I use and I just go to the Greek word ice route. And so, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I once heard that a, a seminary pre uh, professor or a theologian, if they're not really sure what they're talking about, they start the sentence with in some sense. <laughs> is that where you're going? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not going to do that. Mine is if I stroke my beard. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you do have a very fascinating beard. You see, look, mine's I'll... getting a little gray right here on the mustache, and it always looks like I have like some something on my lip. <laughs> it's like it's not dirt. <laughs> yeah, actually, years ago, I used my 
the color used to be closer to yours, but <laughs> where I am, you are headed. Well, um, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Acts 238 is mm -hmm. not necessarily problematic, um, but it's not an easy passage. Okay. Um, and so we need to first start with what's the context? And we have uh, Peter is speaking to which audience? Jewish, first yeah. first century Jews, mm -hmm. um, the Jews who were physically there um, at the time of Jesus' um, crucifixion, uh, who would be identified if uh, uh, simply guilty by association, but they'd be identified with that generation that um, put Jesus to death mm -hmm. and condemned him as the Messiah. And so what must these Jewish believers do who had not only rejected Christ, but at least on some measure, and, and obviously that's going to vary person to person, but on some measure had agreed with what had gone on in um, crucifying Christ. Right. Um, so what do they need to repent of? Well, they need to repent of their wrong view of who Jesus is mm -hmm. and what they as the Jewish nation as a whole had done. Right. And so that call to repentance is, I think, um, connected to that. It's very, very interesting um, that if you look in uh, Mark 1, Luke 3, both of those passages have phrases that are grammatically almost identical uh, to what uh, Peter or what um, Luke writes in, in Acts 2. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke 3 says, uh, and he came into the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. So we see a connection, I, I think, a parallel between that message that came at the beginning of uh, the gospel messages. And now mm -hmm. it's almost identical with a very similar audience, Jewish people who right. need to you know, get back. Of course, now it's a little different because Christ has died. And so it's not a going back to the Old Testament covenant. But nonetheless, the need to change their perspective of um, who Jesus is and what they as a, a people had been doing. So I don't think it's a message for 21st century Gentiles, even 21st Gentile, uh, century Jews mm -hmm. um, to repent in as in that passage mm -hmm. and in the sense of um, a requirement for salvation. And I think the idea of the baptism there is obviously not salvific, but rather it's um, identifying themselves with the Jew Christian community mm -hmm. and an act in, in that act, uh, a public declaration, if you will, that they have, they're no longer aligned with that, the wrong thinking right. of who Jesus was. And now with the right thinking of who mm -hmm. Jesus is. And so as for that first century Jew, that was a pretty important act, just like it was that act of identification with uh, John's baptism and Jesus's baptism. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And uh, yeah, like <clears throat> when you point out the fact of repentance, it was, we don't see anything in, in context or scripture that it has anything to do with change of actions and stop sinning and, and things like that, uh, that should right. come uh, after salvation, but it has everything to do. I, I like how you tied it in that generation and what do they need to repent from who they thought Messiah was and who he actually is proven by the death, burial and resurrection. 
And so, you know, drawing that out is very key and, and crucial. Now, from my understanding, Acts being one of those transitional books from the law to the church age, if you will, uh, and it being a historical narrative, I've always uh, understood that adage where uh, history never formulates doctrine, it, it merely illustrates it, and that history is a descriptive uh, passages as opposed to prescriptive in mm-hmm. most of the cases, and, and I would definitely see that as well, mm-hmm. but what about Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, verse 22. So we get this interesting uh, encounter. We get an encounter with uh, Philip with this Ethiopian, or, or no, before the Ethiopian eunuch, we get this sorcerer, this Simon, Simon the sorcerer. Was, uh, yep. magician, whether he was using, uh, you know, demons, whatever the case is. And then he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost. And and Peter says this in Acts chapter 8, verse number 22. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Now, this was because Simon the sorcerer saw what uh, Peter was doing, and he wanted to buy uh, that power. And Peter says, nope, you need to repent of what you're doing. Repent of your wickedness. What is happening here, and what does Peter mean when he said to repent? Okay, let me uh, hang on a second while I find the verse. Um, yeah. So, uh, yep. let's see, what am I looking for? There's Acts Simon. 822. Okay. Yep. I was looking for a verse earlier than that. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so back in verse 13, mm-hmm. um, it says, even Simon himself believed. And so the, the context I would see is, first off, Simon uh, had been involved in a whole bunch of practices. If he's known as a magician, whatever the venue, how he was doing it, yeah, uh, that he's not exactly, um, you know, that all-around great guy that you, you know, that you love to hang out with. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, something going on in his life that's mm-hmm. it's seemingly pretty dark, um, whether it's, um, you know, illusionary in the sense of, you know, trying to win over you know, power over people or whether it's, uh, caught up with demons. I don't know either. Right. Um, but it says that even Simon himself believed and he continued after he being baptized, he continued with Philip. And and then he observed all these signs and wonders and miracles. And, you know, that would be very tough for a very young believer. Mm. You know, so I see that in verse 13, that just this idea of, of he believed is the same word, pistuo, that's used for salvation every place else. And mm. unless we read into, you know, some mm. theology into it that, well, he didn't really believe, the text doesn't tell us that. It says right. Simon, even Simon himself believed. Mm-hmm. And so in verse 13, Simon is a believer. And so by the time we get to the end, um, you know, think about how much time had he spent with um, uh, with these guys. And the answer is not much. Right. You know, if you can think back on your own Christian life, how much did you know, you know, a week after <laughs> you were saved? Well, let's see. I know this is a Bible. <laughs> And that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. I didn't even know where books in the Bible were. Yeah, and and so I think that it's uh, it's harsh words to be sure. Mm. Um, but I think it's harsh words to a 
young believer who needs the harsh words because you know his request was so far out of line um you know we want to give him a little grace in in right. practice and going okay you know if that had been us we probably would have done the exact same thing right. so i don't i think that's an that's an example of a believer in this case a new convert mm-hmm. needing to repent because he just jumped into it and you know that running down the wrong path right um, and keep in mind too that in the you know early days of the church there's such a huge emphasis should be today too but mm-hmm. such a huge emphasis on maintaining the integrity of the church if you go back to ananias mm-hmm. and sapphira it's like right you know hey you know you guys lied boom you're dead right um you know that's pretty severe yeah and yeah, so I, I think uh, Peter's words there were were um, intentionally harsh to get his attention um, and to help him see that, hey, you know, if you're going to follow Christ, it's not just I'm going to live the old way, just, you know, doing other you know, right. different tricks. No, yeah, that makes sense, especially when we read in earlier verses where Simon has influence. In verse 11, they had regard of him because he had bewitched him, you know, a long time. And so here you have this guy that has this influence within the community and he gets saved. And now he wants to seemingly buy the power that God has given Peter all for the wrong motives and, and, and wrong gain. And yeah, I know Peter, he's, he's typically the one associated with uh, the leader, the vocal one, the outspoken one. And I and that's totally characteristic of Peter. But right. as we're talking about repentance and uh, you, you pulled out second Corinthians, I think it was uh, talked about godly sorrow, workers of repentance. Is there any other outside of acts after acts? So you get into all the general epistles, Pauline epistles, Jonian epistles, whatever. Uh, is there any other references of repentance in these new Testament letters after acts? And if so, uh, what are they talking about? Okay. You've got five, that um two three four yeah five uh references in paul's writings mm-hmm. um the, the one we mentioned earlier in romans um romans, and then right. in the the cluster in in second corinthians mm-hmm. and then um in chapter in second peter sorry second timothy uh-huh. uh, 2.25 it says with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps may grant may can't talk. Yep. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And so I think mm-hmm. that's the same. I don't think it, it teaches anything different. I don't think that's an emphasis on salvation, but rather okay. in um, these people with wrong thinking. Then you've got um, two in, in Hebrews 6. Mm-hmm. And those deal with, uh, the first one is repentance from dead works. Well, that would be, mm-hmm. you know, if that's talking um, for the could be talking about the believer and then life afterwards of changing the mind about working towards anything and gaining okay. favor with God. And then in um, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance in Hebrews 6, those mm-hmm. if they fall far enough back, not a loss of salvation, not a sign they've never been saved, but the heart is so hardened, the heart is so hardened at that point mm-hmm. that you know we don't have the ability to turn them back, if you will. So that'd be um, similar to like Paul's mention when uh, someone can have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then you got one in second Peter three where um, you know, 
not God not wishing for any to perish, but all mm -hmm. come to repentance. Um, that could very well be. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. The, it's generic enough in the way it's put together, whether it could, it could apply to unbelievers and coming to faith, but also mm -hmm. to believers to coming coming back. And I've gone back and forth on that one on who's That's the primary true. who's the primary person. Um, but there could be a very generic way that, that again, but it wouldn't mm -hmm. um, be necessarily anything works related, just having that change of heart, change of mind. And if he particularly if God is talking about how patient he is, Mm -hmm. So that we can have that change of mind, it fits in perfectly, right? Yeah, and then you have a whole bunch of them in Revelation, mostly talking <laughs> to the churches, and so that's dealing with um, believers, uh, and I think you know corporately believers changing, mm -hmm. and the churches changing the way they're they're acting, operating, yeah. and then you've got a couple others <clears throat> later on coming under God's judgment that you know mankind isn't willing to repent they're not willing to change the heart and mind even under uh, the harshest of, of conditions but right. um you know there's so there's a handful of passages outside but none of them uh strongly indicate repentance is necessary for salvation and i'd go back to you know the argument from galatians and romans that um you know those are very strong ones on from paul's writing right. dealing with um, the basis of salvation and and you know there's nothing there so i don't you know i don't see anything in those epistles mm -hmm. uh that would argue that repentance as the party line for lack of a better term teaches mm -hmm. um is a necessary part of salvation right definitely uh so with all that being said, and clearly defining repentance and what it means and how it's used within Scripture and the different nuances, if you will, what would you say to those that believe people like you and me and those within free grace teach a license to sin because they say, oh, you're not changing your sin, you're not changing your behavior, you teach a license to sin? What would you say about that attack or argument? Um. The ungracious response would be, you don't understand what we're teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. The ungracious response. Yeah. But that's the, not uh, your heart. <laughs> yeah. So we've got to go back to, I, I think, a couple of things. One is, um, if salvation is the work of God and, you know, the, the overwhelmingly um, repeated idea of, of uh, we receive eternal life. We're justified by faith in Christ, apart from works, and that now our security is based on what He has done. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not looking at ourselves for you know understanding our salvation or uh, mm -hmm. our security in salvation. Um, I think it's a misunderstanding of free grace. And, and and it's not new because it's Romans, it's no. Romans six. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a it's not a new concept. Um, that grace teaches license, and we can do whatever. And, but that's not that's not it. It simply right. says. I think the difference is uh, that under free grace, God's desire for me still is not to sin. Mm-hmm. God's desire is still for, to change me, to mold mm -hmm. me more into the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
And um, God still desires you know, good works, fruit, you know, what all those lumps mm -hmm. of words we use to describe that uh, to be produced. Right. And he still wants me to take a high view of sin and realize how sinfulness sin really is. Right. Um, but the consequence of that sin is not dangling me over um, eternity that, oh, if, you know, right. you, you either are never were a believer, one camp, or you're going to lose your salvation, another camp. Right. Um, it doesn't minimize the sin, but it maximizes, in my thinking, the grace of God that says, I'm hanging on to you. If you're hanging on to me, you'd be in deep doo-doo, but yeah. I'm hanging on to you. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that it, it grace properly understood mm -hmm. uh, helps people realize that I'm secure in who God is. And so in one sense, I can relax, but yeah. it doesn't, it never gives permission to sin. And I think, if anything, the more we understand God's grace, the less interested, if you will, I will be in pursuing sin, sin. because that's contrary yeah. to who God is and what he's done. Right. It also, you know, we also need to realize that there are serious consequences if we sin. Yeah. Um, but it's not deciding heaven and hell. That's decided the moment I believe. Right. And, uh, the consequences, there's fellowship with God, there's natural consequences, mm -hmm. there's godly discipline, there's loss of reward. Yep. So it's not like there's nothing. Right. And and I have this sneaky feeling that at the Bama seat for uh, those times that I was unfaithful in my, my life, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't really want to be in front of Jesus when that comes up. That's yeah. not going to be, you know, that's not going to be a, a, a pleasant experience. Right. Um, I'm glad that there's also reward and that, you know, God has said, right. you know, you will still be with me forever. Uh, but I think we, we need to understand that the consequences are still serious. Right. It's just not a heaven or hell issue. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with you. No, what you're saying, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and so if, uh, if someone hears a free grace person legitimately teaching, hey, it's okay to sin, then that free grace person doesn't understand sin or right. uh, what God's call is for us as believers. Right. I mean, a lot of times it, it seems like this argument comes, and it's a straw man argument, but it, oh, yeah. it comes like, we in free grace are saying, Oh, it's okay. You're saved. Oh, you can still live righteous and live like the devil. It's okay. And does that matter how we live for salvation? No, but for discipline and standing before Christ, yes, there's a big difference. But it's not like free grace preachers are saying from the pulpit, Because Jesus died for you, you believe, go get drunk and beat your wife this weekend. Yeah. That's not, this is this straw man argument that's being brought up and it's sometimes it's kind of comical to me or ironic because people of that bring this charge they want to say how how it's a license to sin they want to try to defend their view of faith alone but when they necessitate repentance as far as part of that faith alone salvific message now that faith alone that they're attacking us on they lost because now they're adding a work of repentance or whatever right. the case is. But so now you, you talked about, 
the fact that God's holding on to the Christian and that because of that salvation wise, positionally justified, we can never lose our salvation because we are in his hands. Uh, Can you explain the difference if there is a difference between uh, eternal security, once saved, always saved and perseverance of the saints? Are those the same things? Are they different? What are they? I I think um, I think once saved always saved at least as I understand it is you know kind of a um, easy way to remember the idea of security of the believer. Okay. Um, in understanding that if I if I'm saved once I'm saved um, I am secure in that forever and ever and so okay. my security is based on. Um, what God is doing on my behalf. Like John 10, we see we're in the hands of the Father and the hands of the Son. And then you add uh, in the Pauline epistles, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's, right. you know, that's a pretty firm grip. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you you look at the language and like we've been transferred perfect tense from the mm. kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And there's all kinds of examples mm. like that that show that all the work is on God's behalf and, or uh, comes from God and um, not conditioned on our behavior. Right. Um, so, but, so I think those two are pretty close. Uh, I think there's some whole differences, but to be honest, I haven't okay. quite figured out what that is. I haven't um, either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the perseverance of the saints is a different issue though. Um, because the way it is, uh, commonly taught in Calvinism, mm-hmm. uh, per- perseverance of the saints basically says that I will either, persevere in my walk with the Lord and and stay in that walk up until the end of my life. Or if I fall away, I will necessarily come back at the end. Mm. And so um, I think it's a dangerous theology because that means that today I have no real assurance of my salvation because I cannot guarantee to you that at the end of my life, whenever that's coming, no time soon, I hope, but at the end of my life, <laughs> I can't guarantee that I'll be walking with the Lord. Wow. You know, I've seen people get hurt, get angry with God, get confused, whatever. And mm. they've walked walked away from the Lord. And so mm-hmm. under that view, the answer is, oh, they weren't saved. Right. So that means, and the answer is, well, they need to really get saved. And now you get into that whole thing of, well, how do you really believe versus just believe? Right. Yeah. Um, there's uh, one uh, well-known reformed theologian, at least in his, uh, his theology, he's consistent because he says that whether you hold the reformed view or the Arminian view, the end result is the same. If you see somebody that's not living for the Lord, then it seems like what they need is salvation. And and I applaud him for being consistent, but right. wrong, unfortunately. Right. Um, so the perseverance of the saints uh, makes it logically impossible. Now, these same people who teach that teach that they have assurance, but I'm not quite sure what, that, yeah. what that's based on, because it's no longer on the objective truth at least in my understanding of what scripture says what happened the moment i believe now are there people who say they're christians but aren't absolutely but it's not based on what somebody says it's based on in whom have they believed right yeah and and i can't know that you know i just you know if i see somebody living a messed up life 
um, I can ask them and, you know, and I you know, try to ask open-ended questions so they can't mm-hmm. read my mind on what the right answer is. <laughs> right. Uh, but to find out, you know, hey, if you go to heaven, why should God let you in? You know, something mm-hmm. like that. And, and yeah. you know, kind of pursue, well, did you ever really believe? And mm-hmm. I think there's people who think they're Christians because they've gone to the right church or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, th- those aren't the people that should ever be used as examples to support Mm -hmm. a a theological view because they never, they never really believed and didn't understand in the first place. Right. Um, So um, perseverance, if you, their argument would be that if you say you believed Mm -hmm. and I would say, if you believe, then you must necessarily, you know, have good works at least at the end of your life. And this same theologian, I had a discussion with him one time and okay. he said, well, you know, if there's a person living next door, you know, she said she was a Christian, but I didn't see any fruit in her life. So I had to conclude that she wasn't. But then she came back and I said, no, I wouldn't say that she wasn't a Christian. I just simply say, you don't have any evidence of a close walk right then right. at that point in time. But that has nothing to do with understanding whether she had believed in Christ at some point in the past. Right. Yeah. So I think personally, I think it's a dangerous doctrine because it, and it, it also changes the emphasis from what are the promises of the scripture? What's the work of Christ? What's the work yep. of the father? What's the work of the Holy spirit? I love Ephesians one. Cause it's got all three of those persons <laughs> that yeah. work in, in salvation to a subjective look at my own life and my own works to try and figure out, you know, is there enough there? Right. No, yeah. And there's never any assurance. And from what I understand, and you probably talk to a lot more of that crowd than I have, but whenever you ask somebody that's honest, if they have any assurance of what percentage do you think you're going to heaven? Most honest ones may go 99%. Yeah. It's hard for you to find one that really holds that view as a hundred percent assured because they don't know if they're going to persevere. And that's contrary to John chapter 20 and then first John chapter five essentially says the same thing that these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life and then you live in the knowledge of that life, not live for that life. And there's a big difference there. So as we were talking about perseverance in your mind, do you see a difference between preservation and perseverance? Is there a difference to you? Yeah, preservation, I think, is is uh, the phrase I used before. It's God holding on to me. He's preserving me. Okay. And and because he is preserving me, that you know, my destiny is secure. Now, in that holding, you know, he's not forcing me to do everything right along the way. And so right. I can be um, <laughs> I remember when my kids were little, you know, sometimes they're cooperative and sometimes they're not when you're trying to hold them <laughs> oh, and yeah. walk through them all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But they're always my kids, just sometimes yeah. cooperative, sometimes not. Uh, so I see that um, preservation, it's God holding on to me. Perseverance mm-hmm. is um, me continuing to walk in faith until the very end. And so the focus on that is more on me as opposed to on God. Definitely. Now, it always amazes me whenever somebody brings up the aspect of, okay, if, if we're if we're saved and we're a child of God, if we don't persevere to the end, then we're not a child of God. But whenever I ask them, would you ever disown one of your children for anything that they ever do? They would say no. 
And so my next question, if you would never kick somebody out of your house, are you a better father than God? Yeah. Would he kicked somebody out and it just doesn't line up with me. So, but yeah, I wrote an article uh, a while back called preservation and perseverance. And just like you articulated, preservation is what God does for us. And perseverance is what we do for God in light of fellowship and walking in a close walk with Christ. And so I appreciate you sort of, uh, you know, allowing me to believe, okay, what I wrote does sound legit. At least another person holds to that view. And so that's good to know. So last question I have for, for you, and I have my own personal understanding and interpretation on it, obviously from a free grace perspective, but Romans 10, nine and 10, for if you believe with your mouth and confess in your heart or, or believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that you'll be saved. Right. What is Paul talking about? Do we have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth to be saved? And if so, how does that align with a free grace message as far as confessing? Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, one of the things that Paul's doing in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is he's dealing with the Jewish problem. It's kind of like after you get through the end of chapter 8, you know, and, and you're talking about all these great things, and then, but wait, you know, what about the promises mm -hmm. God made to the Jews? And, right. and so he's dealing with that. And so he, he pulls up in that whole section in chapter 10, you know, there's a, a number of references and pulling them out of um, the, the Old, Old Testament. Testament. Um, so he pulls out, uh, it's, I guess, out of Joel, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved or yep. rescued. So again, you have to ask the question, what kind of salvation is coming into play um but i think there's there's an important sequence in verse 14 mm -hmm. um, that helps clarify that because how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed so the calling is after believing not along with mm. and how will they believe in him who have they have not heard and so that's building that whole argument of faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of christ Right. Uh, so I think that the calling is, again, uh, just like with Simon, I think the calling is an act of the believer after they mm -hmm. have come to faith in Christ. And so particularly for the Jewish believer, and I think Paul's used the example of how um, the Jews had failed in right. their walk with the Lord. And instead mm -hmm. of calling on the Lord, they went their own way. That's paraphrased. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think Paul is is talking um using that as an example and emphasizing too that that you know again there's multiple aspects of salvation save doesn't necessarily mean justification save right. sometimes is sanctification it's the growth process and so this is yeah. this is an act of the believer after they have believed um i think that a lot of times when people use it um, there are some gospel presentations that are uh, fuzzy or muddy but uh, yeah. aren't problematic in the sense of you can hear that and it's it's probably not the clearest message but it's not right. gonna, you know you're not going to be trying to dig out of the weeds with it right you know? and, and most of the time i put that there because uh, it's different than saying oh you got to be baptized um, right. and, but, and there's a lot of people dancing around on what's it mean to call well some it's calling on the lord or you know or it's internal or um okay, right you know proclaiming but um i think that's the 
freedom that we have as the believer after we mm-hmm. believe that we can call on the Lord okay, yeah. uh, in really in all aspects of life and, and right. going out of the Jewish context that God says, I'm here, yeah. come back. I'm here. Definitely. Wonderful. Amen. Well, that was the last question I had for you today on this uh, interview as far as repentance is concerned. I know there's a lot more I'd like to ask you, but uh, we're just going to have to maybe save that for another interview, possibly down the road in the future, because it seems like there's still a wealth of knowledge inside of that brain of yours that we'd like to <laughs> tap into, you know, but uh, yeah. Roger, it, it pushed I, all my hair out. <laughs> is that what it is? Uh, <laughs> Well, that 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 makes sense. Why I have so much hair because I don't have nearly as much knowledge as you. But I don't buy that, but whatever. <laughs> I appreciate your time with us today. Uh, uh, you were very clear as far as repentance is concerned from a free grace perspective, but not from a free grace perspective, but from your Berean perspective as well, and being that Berean. So I appreciate that. Uh, as we wrap this up, is there any final thoughts, final comments you'd like to share with the people still watching, listening, anywhere they can follow you, ministries, anything like that? Uh, well, a couple things. One um, one other point, thinking of the um, security of the believer. My oh. wife and I were foster parents for a long time. Oh, okay, and it, yeah. And it dawned on me that God is an adoptive father, not a foster father. Hmm. That's a good and, distinction. Can you clarify? Yeah. In adoption, we legally become, a child legally becomes mine. And just as if you know, he had come from our bodies, even right. though he or she had not. Um, and they are, that person is secure in that, in that mm-hmm. they're legally mine. I can't just say adios amigos and off you go. Right. Um, foster kids have no real security in a foster home. Because at the whims of the foster parent or the foster agency or the state or the court, you know, they can be moved from that home and put someplace else and have no real security. God is not the foster parent and that there's no way that we can be removed from the house. Amen. That we are his forever. So um, that was an eye-opening thought from from those definitely um, i i know a few families that were foster parents and uh one of them uh became an adopted adoption parent and uh so no definitely i know that hits close to home here and then a lot of people watching her probably grew up in the foster family and knowing that there's security and knowing that god is an adoption father not a foster father right. so i love that and, and other than that i just appreciate the time i've appreciated enjoyed the uh the interview it's gone fast you haven't stumped me <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> uh, i can throw a couple we can get into hebrews 6 if you want but i'm sure you studied that out oh gee i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta tell you and all the the traveling we've done um hebrew 6 comes up over and over and over and over yeah are you a hypothetical guy well, I'm not a hypothetical guy. I'm a real guy. <laughs> that was a knee slapper. <laughs> uh, you t- well, maybe we'll save that for another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. Save that no, for- I'm not a hypothetical guy, but I, neither do I think it has anything to do with earning salvation. or losing salvation. 
Yeah. No, it is interesting, especially when you drew out in six one in Hebrews, you know, the repents from dead works. I'm looking at the fact he's writing to Jewish Christians, if you will, and and mm. just like in Galatians, they're trying to go back to the law. In Hebrews, they're trying to go back to the Levitical system, most likely, and that's a dead work because yep. the law is ineffective anymore because Jesus fulfilled it and there's need, yep. no need to go there. Yep. So, but yeah, no, uh, I, I'd like to get you back on sometime, you know, maybe we'll talk offline and figure that out another day. But uh, sure. uh, anybody that's curious, interested in a free grace uh, message, free grace perspectives, there's free grace theology groups out there on Facebook and you can find Dr. Roger Fankhauser on there as well. And uh, so we appreciate your time with us. And for anybody else watching, don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. And until next time, God bless.